Hey everyone and welcome back to another book podcast. It was such a pleasure to have Sarah Ox, debut author of The Dive on the podcast this week. Reading about a murder in paradise is very much in the spirit of Halloween so this couldn't have come at a better time. And with the days getting shorter and the evenings getting darker it's the perfect book to hunker down with and try to figure out who you can trust. Enjoy the episode! As per usual, a quick disclaimer. Despite any connections to the publishing industry, all opinions on books and biscuits are completely our own here at Another Book Podcast. So let's dive into this week's episode. Okay, well, thank you so much, Sarah, for coming onto the podcast today. It's so nice to have you on. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. Yes, and we're we're talking about your amazing book, The Dive. Um, this is putting you on the spot entirely, but do you mind giving the listeners just a bit of a brief summary of the novel? Sure. Um, it's a little difficult to do because there's a lot of spoilers. I'm going to try going to try to avoid any spoilers in this. Um, but yeah, so the dive is my uh, debut thriller. It's a destination thriller. It's set on a remote Thai scuba diving island called Co- called Koh Sang. And it follows kind of this group of expats who have made their lives uh, on the island. And one day a body is discovered during a scuba dive and it threatens to kind of expose all the secrets that these expats are running from. And it really just throws the island into disarray. Uh, so yeah, so that's that's my high level summary, I guess. <laughs> I mean, honestly, I when I was reading it, I have always said I, I don't think I could ever go scuba diving just because I'm super claustrophobic. And I'm just the idea of going underwater with just that breathing pack is yeah. terrifying. And then the idea of actually like finding a dead body, I was like, that's pretty much cemented the fact that I'll never go scuba diving. I'm oh, much no. more of a beach person. <laughs> oh, well, I... I will tell you, I've been on a lot of dives in my day and I have yet to discover a dead body during any of them. So, so I'll just know that. <laughs> <laughs> but for anyone who's thinking about it, it's, it's still okay. <laughs> yes, yes. And sure. um, I read in your author's note as well that it was um, inspired by your travel, ex- I mean, not entirely inspired by your travel experiences, but somewhat, um, and that you went to an island where where people had died, been murdered. Um, what yeah. happened? Yeah, so in 2015, I was actually um, backpacking around Thailand with two friends. Uh, so we went kind of all over. We went to Bangkok and Chiang Mai up in the north. And at the end of our trip, we spent almost a week uh, in one of the islands down in the very south of the country. And it was kind of one of those places that, you know, as soon as I stepped off the ferry and stepped onto the island, I completely fell in love. There, are, there have been really a handful of places in my life that I've been and like instantly had an immediate connection and felt like this is a place I could live. This is a place I could build my life. And that island, it just checked every box for me. Um, And we had such a lovely trip there. We learned to scuba, we got scuba certified while we were there. It's a huge scuba diving island. Uh, We just had so many amazing experiences. And then close to the end of our stay there, we found out that there had been actually two murders of British tourists, uh, British backpackers a year before we arrived right down the beach from where we were staying. And it was just, I don't think I really kind of like developed that thought at the time, but it was just so jarring to 
hear about such a horrible crime that was committed on such a place where I felt like it was paradise and it felt mm. so, like a second home to me already. It was just, I don't think I really processed that until I got home. It's like that kind of idyllic surrounding. You can't imagine something so horrible happening in somewhere exactly. so beautiful. Yes, just a really kind of stark juxtaposition between the two things for sure. And I assume that didn't put you off your trip too much, hopefully. <laughs> it didn't. And I really don't know what to say, what that says about me at all. But <laughs> I like, even when I returned home and even knowing that something horrible, something horrible like that happened there, there were so many times where I would just think, you know, today I'm just going to pick everything up and I'm moving to that island. Uh, there were so many times I was tempted to just become one of the expats on this island and kind of escape everything in my normal life. But something always kind of held me back. And I don't know if it was, it was the murders necessarily, or if it was just, you know, kind of the regular obligations of daily life. But I did yeah. not, fortunately or unfortunately, ever move to that island. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, I think as well, there's that thing isn't it when you go on holiday and you're like this is so incredible but actually like building a life getting a job you know it's that thing of of would it become your every day and then a bit mundane after that Mm -hmm. is it so special because you had that limited amazing time there yes that's exactly right and I know I've talked to people who have lived on small tropical islands before um and there's almost this kind of feeling of claustrophobia and like you said mm-hmm. kind of mundanity like every day is is a variation on the same thing and you, you it's not so easy to kind of get off that island it's not like you can just take a car and drive down the street to a new city um so i think that it, it has to be really wearing on you yeah. after a while and i think it's you know, in theory, it's such a great idea, but I think there are a lot of things we kind of gloss over when when thinking about just packing up and moving to a paradise island. Yes. (laughs) Yes. So nice in in like your mind and so nice to think about, but you know, really like those, you would never want a beautiful, stunning beach or sea view to become just like, oh, this again. I'm stuck here looking at this every day. Yeah. I'm so sick. (laughs) So sick of this beautiful view out yeah. my window. Yeah, right. That's true. And so, it keeps it special. Yeah. And was it like, was it quite a while then, uh, you know, from 2015 to now, like before you kind of decided to write this story or was it kind of gradually building ever since you left? It was kind of, I mean, the idea of that island and it being a place I, I I was just kind of so intrigued by and those those murders, that was always something that was playing in the back of my head, but it wasn't necessarily like I went there and I thought it was going to be, I was like, this is my, this is my debut book. Um, <laughs> at the time, I was really just starting out my law career and writing, fiction writing was not even anywhere on the agenda mm-hmm. at that point. Um, I really didn't kind of start thinking seriously about becoming an author until several years later, five years later during COVID, when I finally kind of had some time and nothing yeah. else to do, no travel going on to actually kind of sit down and and try and see if I could actually write a book. Um, but when I did sit down and and start really thinking about writing seriously, the first thing that came to my head was that island. I knew, I knew the setting immediately. And then everything else kind of, kind of came from that setting. 
Oh, amazing. And did you have, was that like a, a good experience? Do you, did you feel writing it or was it like quite difficult to get into given that it's like your first novel? Like, have you done any writing before this that kind of helped ease you into it? I had done a little bit of creative writing in college. Um, so when I was at university, I had a minor in writing, but it was very kind of minimal, like short stories, things mm-hmm. that I, I think I would be very embarrassed today to read over. <laughs> um, but other than that, I mean, I've, I'm, I was a lawyer and I'm an academic. So I've done, you know, a ton of legal writing and academic writing, but it's, it's nowhere near. Slightly different. <laughs> yes, exactly. So, um, yeah, I mean, I, I would say it's, it's always difficult writing any book is there, there are days when you're just thinking, I want to hang all this up. This is such a waste of time. What am I doing? Um, but you just kind of have to stick, stick with it. And I would say having the setting as this beautiful island, and I call it Koh Sang uh, in the book, it's a fictional island based on the island I visited in Thailand. Um, having that setting and being able to kind of immerse myself in my memories of that island was really kind of mentally freeing for me to be doing that during the pandemic when I was stuck Mm. in a one bedroom apartment um, and really just kind of craving travel and feeling like something was missing in my life. It was just a way for me to escape. Uh, So that was kind of one of the biggest, biggest benefits for me to keep writing. And one of the things that really got me out of bed and, and in front of, in front of my computer in the morning. That's that's so amazing. I mean, for it to provide that for you, but also I think it's just so nice for people to hear that, you know, you can still write a book even if you've never written before. You know, I think there's quite writing or becoming an author or just publishing can seem quite inaccessible and that you have to have picked up a pen at one year one years old and have written a short story by that age and you know have then gone on to write a million but this is the one that like you decided to publish you know it's it's not always like that sometimes you just have a story in you and you can just write it and obviously you know as well like lockdown obviously had all of its you know off the horrible side to it but it's that kind of taking what you're given, this kind of being forced to not be able to do what you would normally do. And that gives you the time to write something or to just do anything like write a book that you never would have thought that you would have done otherwise. Oh, yeah. um, Just so nice for people to know that that is an option and that it's just takes them sitting down at a computer and writing for them to be able to write a book. That's all it really takes. Yeah. And I, I mean, that's such a, that's such a good point. I would say there were a lot of times where I kind of thought about, oh, it would be, I'm such an avid reader. I love reading. I devour thrillers, especially, and I would love to write my own, but I could never, like, who am I to think that I could do that? I mean, I don't, I've never really written before other than those few short stories, those terrible short stories in college. (laughs) And it was, it was something like I was when I first started writing, I was really embarrassed by almost like I didn't tell anybody. I told my husband and that was pretty much it. And I don't, didn't even tell my parents or my sister until several months in because I thought, you know, it, it, it was just like, I thought they would just be like, what, what are you doing? Why, why are you now thinking that you can write a book? But it was always kind of something that I wanted to do. And I think, you know, regardless of where you're at, you're at like age wise or in your career, 
if it's something that you're interested, I mean, just, just try it, see where it goes. There's, there's no harm in that for sure. And it's so interesting as well that you come from like the sort of academic and and legal background, because uh, talking to one of our authors, uh, Sarah Penner, who wrote The Lost Apothecary, she worked in, in finance. And it's like, you know, that's like almost you just think of them as as two different, you know, you think of like, you know, legal and finance as like logic, you know, numbers, a lot of, you know, obviously so much a law and and that's yes. the kind of if any wording, that's the wording you're de- dealing with. And then you think of like historical fiction, crime fiction. It's almost like two different ends of the spectrum, but actually it must yes. be so nice to have like a creative outlet when it's exactly. all yes. academia. <laughs> Yes. And I love that you use that term because that was really what fiction writing was to me. I mean, you can be creative to some extent in legal writing and in academic <laughs> writing, but you're really severely limited. But fiction writing really was exactly that. It was my creative outlet. So it was a great way to kind of escape. Again, you keep using that word, but escape my kind of daily life a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, you know, it, it must, you know, I, I can't even imagine how much goes into being a lawyer. All I know is that it's a lot from my friends who have done it. Like it's so intense and just grueling in a way, I'm sure very like rewarding as well. Um, Some days. But, you know. <laughs> <laughs> but I think that, yeah, there's just, there's the freedom in creative writing that perhaps isn't, you've got to be so careful more yes. with your um obviously legal writing and everything so that must be really nice to yes. have that like I can write whatever I want and no one can tell me I'm wrong <laughs> except for my editor and my agent of course they, they can tell me I'm wrong for sure they can and they have many times but no I totally understand what you mean and you know with um you know the characters they they have such like interesting backgrounds I guess because you feel like you get to know them but you also don't really get to know them because they all have that like you know wanting to move to the island sort of either forget or just put the past in the past and I think it's so easy to understand that and be like yes you know leaving the past in the past and and moving to this paradise like everyone can envision it and dream about it but actually then doing it and wondering why all these characters have ended up here was like the main drive for me obviously there's the you know the incident that happens the body that's found which is like a you know, something that keeps you going is so compelling. But actually it's finding out why each of them have come to the island was really what was driving me through. I just was desperate to know. And I was just wondering, you know, when you were traveling, did you meet people who were perhaps running from something or just wanting to escape their life a bit? A lot more kind of the latter. Mm. I, um, I did meet, I mean, when we, especially when we're in that island, we were in Thailand, it's such a backpacker paradise. So you meet people from all walks of life and from all over the country. And we met so many people who were traveling for years, a year or more, and they really had no plans to settle down other than to keep travel, uh, keep traveling. We met a whole bunch of people who had made that island into their home who had become expats there and really built a life there. Um, and it was in talking to them, it was 
I don't know if, if this was just a personal experience, but we really didn't talk too much ever about their lives before they started traveling, before they ended up on that island. It was always, we were talking you know, about where they were from, of course, and what their job was, or if they were a student, what they studied before. But the vast majority of our conversations were focused on what was happening in their travels, what, what happened on the island, and kind of just present day conversations. And I don't think I really picked up on that until I started writing the dive and and realizing like I really didn't get to know anything about their backstory beyond just like a very superficial kind of shallow layer. Um, and I don't know, I didn't meet anybody who specifically told me I'm running from this or I have this <laughs> thing in my past that I'm coming from. But it did seem like many people I talked to, they were like, I just need to get away. I need to kind of find myself and and explore the world. And I don't know exactly what their uh, reasons or motivations for doing that were, but it was, it, it got me thinking, I will say. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And so there was no one you met that perhaps like inspired a character or even like looks wise or personality wise? Oh, for sure. There were <laughs> definitely people I met that inspired characters. And I would say, um, but a lot more. So it was just kind of a type of person. I mean, as you travel, uh, you know, after a while, you start realizing that you're running into kind of variations on the same type of people. Um, so I think it was a lot more that, but there there are definitely some characters that I've pulled from from real life people, but I will not say who. <laughs> <laughs> will not be name dropping them here. I mean, no. I was I was reading like Daniel's way of chatting and like, you know, classic Brit abroad. And I was like, I know about 20 of you. <laughs> <laughs> yes, exactly. You just keep, like it's it's funny. I mean, uh, this is this is very stereotypical, but you do kind of meet the same person over and over and I think that's really yeah. something that's interesting and kind of funny about traveling. Definitely. And I think that's why then the people like Lucy who are a bit they, they kind of then like stick out like a sore thumb because right. they're not there with the same attitude or kind of energy as the other people there who all have like kind of even um even the couple that are there for the um you know the scuba diving and and they are are a bit almost not odd but they definitely have a different way of going about things but even them I actually thought you know blended in a bit more than someone like Lucy who was obviously there for a reason and it just kind of showed so much the difference between her and literally everybody else on the island oh I'm so glad you picked up on that yeah and I just feel like you know I wonder if in real life whether you would actually notice that yourself um because obviously it's it was interesting all of um Cass's chapters because I loved her but she was definitely paranoid absolutely yeah you know and you you kind of understand it but you know I felt like she was very just honest and you know if something happens that where she would even question herself she would question herself like there was Mm -hmm. no denial or running away from things in a way but it was just she she just had me questioning everyone <laughs> I yes. was just a, a, every single person I was like mm. like someone smiled mm. at her I was like that's suspicious why would they do that <laughs> how dare you how dare you look at me 
And then it would must have an ulterior motive. Yeah. Yeah. And then Brooke, I felt like, oh, okay, I may be seeing people from a more uh, objective point of view, which is why then it went back to Cass. I was like, oh no, here we go. (laughs) There's something dodgy going on all all over this island. Yeah, Brooke is a little bit more, I would say, level-headed to Mm -hmm. a point. Um, And Cass, Cass has got some stuff going on (laughs) in that head of hers, for sure. Yes. But I really liked her. There was just... There was just something about her voice throughout it all that I just just always sympathized with. And I don't know if it's because she was then thinking that she's done something wrong in her past. And because she thought that she'd done something wrong rather than someone else, I then thought, okay, well, then you've got some kind of morality because you think that you've done something wrong, which is such an odd way to think about it, probably. <laughs> it's just like, oh, no. you think you've done something wrong. I like you. <laughs> you can recognize that you've done wrong. I think that is yes. kind of an aspect of morality for sure. Yeah. You know, rather than being like, oh, I left my past behind because I couldn't be bothered with any mm-hmm. of that. You know, she obviously, I think the fact that she held some sort of guilt and some sort of, you know, like stress in relation to something she thought she'd done or something she had done trying not to give any spoilers <laughs> but uh yeah just the fact that she even worried about it then made me think okay no matter what it is you're feeling a certain way about it and therefore mm-hmm. you're a likable character or at least an understandable character ah I like that a lot yeah that's a really that's a really good perspective but I mean one thing that I really did I think struggle with or that like you know really brought things into perspective was like we were talking about earlier being you know you would maybe feel like you were stuck on this island or a bit claustrophobic Mm -hmm. because it's not easy to get on and off then on Mm -hmm. top of that if anything did happen you know the police are portrayed to be unhelpful I think at best yeah and you know I was I was just wondering is that something you personally experienced while you were out there or is that just something you looked into I thankfully did not personally experience any run-ins with the police while I was in Thailand um but it is something you know I've read about and I've kind of seen in a lot of uh pop culture and and in the media and in news stories um, is just kind of this, this level of corruption. I mean, Mm. it's not only in Thailand uh, and it's not in all of Thailand either. It's, that is kind of a very stereotypical approach to, to the Thai police that I took. Um, But it's, I mean, you do see that a lot kind of traveling around Southeast Asia, this uh, distrust of, of the police. So I did, I did kind of want to get that in there in some way. I mean, it it definitely adds a level of fear to the to the whole thing when you yes. kind of when you don't think that anyone's going to be held accountable for their actions, right. and when their actions are so severe, when you mm-hmm. find a body and you're not convinced that the right person is is going to you know be responsible for it or or at least accused of it, even um, yes. it's just such a fearful thing. And, and you have no one to go to for help. 
Yeah. You know, I think, I think we kind of take it for granted a lot of the times in, in the U S and the UK that, you know, Oh, if something bad happens, we just go to the police and they solve mm-hmm. it. Um, and that's not necessarily always the case in places like remote islands in Thailand. So I think yeah. it kind of, like you said, it does add kind of another layer of panic almost yeah. to what the characters are experiencing. And like when they're trying to all figure out what's going on, it's almost like, you know, you, you you get so caught up in them figuring out what's happening that then once it's figured out or they think it's figured out or they think they know who it is, it's then like, well, who do I tell? Yes, exactly. My, my boss? <laughs> like, yes. Where do I go from author- here? Yeah. Is that the authority yeah. figure? Is that the person who's going to bring justice? Probably not. And, you know, yeah. even if... I think as well, it was like, the point was that even if, you know, there was like a non-corrupt police, even if they were going to do everything in their power, they're still not based on the island. So if there is something like bad weather, a broken boat, Mm -hmm. or, you know, anything that can so easily happen and so out of your control, then maybe the police can't get to you for a couple of days, even if they want to, and even if they're trying to, then that's still an obstacle as well. And you are, you are on your own basically oh. when it comes to that so that is yeah Ooh, it gives yeah me I, know. A bit. <laughs> I know it's like being on like some sort of reality tv show like survivor or something but with like yes. added <laughs> yeah, added layers right. of fear like I I just no, I can't even imagine <laughs> yes no kind of safety latch that you can pull and I think that is probably why you know there's like a big turn to social media in the novel where it's like it social media I feel like is a character it plays such a big role in the book and obviously and it's so realistic as well because you know they're as reliant on it as everybody is in the modern world you know and the fact that Brooke is like an influencer and like uses her platform in so many ways and everything I think it it can definitely be seen in a negative light but also I feel like it's just that that constant battle that we all have with social media is that we don't need it, but we need it. <laughs> yes. We hate it, but we can't not use it. Yeah. And yes. like it kind of acts as a as a bit of a, a threat, you know, that, y- you know, you can expose someone on social media, whether it's true or not. And that can be, you know, obviously like with the the kind of resort worrying about their appearance on social media Mm -hmm. and their appearance in the media in general is like such an understandable thing. Because, you know, if there's a death at the resort, that would definitely like that would definitely ruin their reputation, stop people coming to the island and then to have an influencer there while all this is going on. But Mm -hmm. then it can be used in another way and like manipulated. Like it was just, it it was so difficult to kind of latch on to whether it was a good thing or a bad thing, which I thought was really interesting because that's just life now as well. Is it a good thing or is it a bad thing? Yes, I think that's exactly. I mean, and it's, it's weird, you know, to becoming an author because social media and promoting your book, that's, that's now part of your job as an author. That's part of my job. And I'm, 
I am always somebody that, you know, I'm obviously aware. I write about it. I know social media. A lot of what's on social media is fake. You're just seeing the highlight reel of somebody's life. Nobody is really sharing the bad stuff. But even even knowing that, even writing about that, I get sucked into it every single day. And it's so easy to think, oh, well, they're having, they have such this perfect life where this author yeah. is selling so many more books than me and comparison running wild. Everything looks like it's going great for her. And my social media doesn't look like that. And it's just, it's such a bizarre thing. I think that we can all recognize it now. We all recognize mm-hmm. kind of the complexities and the falsities of social media, but we can't tear ourselves away from it. And we also, it's really difficult to kind of show that real part of your life and not just kind of gloss over things. Um, I mean, I'm guilty of it for sure of just showing the highlight reels, but yeah, it's such a complex and just a strange new part of our lives now that you can't really Mm -hmm. escape from. So I did want to kind of uh, work that into the narrative for the dive. And like, you know, you you don't well I I go on social media because I want to see people enjoying food at a restaurant yes. or to see you know what's something that's nice is someone's just put in their new house that I might mm-hmm. want to get as well or you know see that you know someone I know from work has got married or someone from school has you know just had a baby or like all these yeah. really lovely things that are happening you know I I want to see that I don't necessarily yes. I don't want to see people being upset or, or you yes. know, grieving or anything like that. Mm-hmm. But then at the same time, that's then the issue because yes. then that's what m- makes it seem like someone's got like all this money to spend on all this homeware. And you're like, oh, I want all that homeware. I want yes. all those clothes. I want all that, you know, materialistic stuff that they've got as well. And so then again that's that's the that's the struggle of like you want to you enjoy seeing the good side of things yep. but then you don't enjoy the fact that you maybe can't have exactly that yes it is it's just such a weird dynamic because mm-hmm. like you like like you just said i mean i'm complaining about how everyone is kind of glossing over their lives and how everything looks so be- beautiful and pretty on social media but when people do get vulnerable and kind of share some of their darker times and their struggles. I'm sometimes I'm like, why are you sharing this? Mm. Why aren't you just giving me those pretty pictures that I always see? And it's, it really is. I don't know. It's just such a complex, complicated beast, social media. It really is. I mean, I saw someone the other day, like do a, a food haul on TikTok, but they did it from um, that. It was like everything they'd got from the food bank because they can't ah. afford to go and get their food. And then this person just got absolutely like ripped into online and it was all like you're doing this for sympathy you want pity like you're asking for us all to like you know feel sorry for you and she just came out and said look I just did that because that's the reality of my life people do like Trader Joe hauls or like Air One or uh, Whole Foods which are all really expensive Mm -hmm. places and this is my reality and this is what I'm doing. And, you know, like it was just insane how much people reacted to that. Yes. And then, you know, and then like it was so interesting then reading Brooke and how she was like so aware that she was like, I'm putting out a front that I don't believe in. A, like I'm not mm-hmm. actually happy in this photo. I 
you know, took a million of them to get this one that I liked. I've put all these filters on it. Um, mm-hmm. I've done this caption. And I even loved the fact that she was like, I'm working with a hotel so that I can go stay there. I'm, you know, it was just so, it was so what you know is all happening behind the scenes, but actually just being told that it's happening when yes. actually it's kind of like no one really speaks about it. Exactly. And I also love the, your comment about kind of just, I guess, trolls on social media. Yeah. It's just become so kind of overwhelming. People are just so free and open to criticize others on social media from behind, you know, a screen. And mm. it's, I don't know, I think it sometimes brings out the worst of people in a way. Um, so yeah, there's a lot going on there. <laughs> yeah. And and that's why I, I kind of, Brooke was such an interesting character. And uh, do you know what? I'm not going to say any more on it because <laughs> I, I just don't even trust myself to go any further oh, on I know. it. But I'm so nervous. I'm so nervous. <laughs> I'm going to say something and spoil like the last half of the book. So no, it's just... the great thing is podcast, we can just edit it out. Oh, true. <laughs> That's true. I've done it before where I've just said something and gone, I'm going to have to delete that later because that's definitely going to give something away. And I think, you know, it is, it is actually just one of those ones where it got to the end and I was like, you're joking. This is <laughs> this. I I was so wrong. I was so wrong. Cause oh. I, told, I turned to my family on holiday and was like, okay, like I'm going to out loud say who I think it is mm-hmm. so that you can all hold me to it later. And then I yep. finished the book and they were like, so, and I was like, not, I wasn't like in a yard. <laughs> like I wasn't close. I was not close. So let's oh, not talk I love about that. it. <laughs> I love that. No, my husband read it uh, when we were on vacation a couple, he read one of the earlier versions and he it was so funny to watch him because he would just be like, oh, okay, it's this person. I'm going to say it now, it's this person. And then like 10 minutes later, he's like, oh no, I'm changing my mind. It's this person. <laughs> yeah. And then at the end, I'm like, did you see it coming? He's like, oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you did it. yeah, I mean, it was one of my thousands of options, except that yes. it wasn't. <laughs> right, right, right. But it's, it was so funny because I was like just so convinced. And even when I saw that it wasn't panning out, I was like, no, no, it's it's all going to turn around <laughs> and I'm going to be right. And it just so wasn't. And oh, I guess, you know, I love that. but that's something that is, it, it's really difficult to do. And I think there's definitely a lot of, there's a lot of ways of um, sort of writing uh, crime now where, you know, you take the approach maybe of, kind of immediately stating who's done it and then it's Mm -hmm. like how you're gonna find out find them you know that like that's something that I've been reading quite a lot recently I found so then to go back to a who's done it and fully just not know who's done it is like it was so enjoyable but I mean do you have any advice to people writing crime perhaps as to like how to write an ending that you wouldn't expect yeah, I think, um, I mean, it's difficult. It's it's really the twists and turns. I mean, that's my favorite part of reading. That's why I read mm. thrillers specifically, because I love the twists and I love not being able to guess the end. Um, but it's really hard to do. It's a lot harder than I think you would think. Um, and I would say it just one piece of advice is, you know, I think if you surprise yourself, then the reader is going to be surprised as well. So for instance, I mean, the ending, the twist, 
that comes at the end of the dive. I did not know that was going to happen until I finished the full first draft. I didn't have, you know, that plotted or anything. It just kind of hit me as I was drafting uh, and it came out of nowhere. So I think that really helped. Um, and just kind of taking risks, like some, it's really difficult to tell if a twist is working when you're so deep in the story. Mm. And especially when you are not in, in that first draft anymore. And when you're in several rounds of edits, I mean, I remember reading the dive, you know, for the approximately 712th time and being like, everyone's going to see all of this coming because I know it's all coming. Yeah. Um, and I think at that point, it just really helps to have an outside set of eyes on on it, whether it's, you know, an editor or your agent or just a friend who can give you kind of objective advice and let you know for real whether they saw it coming or not. I think that's really helpful, but it's it's tricky. It's tricky. You kind of just gotta can't even imagine. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't. And you know, you just do your best. (laughs) Turning the page and being like, I know what's coming next because you've written it and read it for (laughs) a millionth time. Yes. I'm like, how can no one predict this? (laughs) They haven't read it 700 times either. (laughs) I know, because I think like that, I mean, that is the hardest part of I think a book like that is just trying to find a way to keep it keep it realistic as well I think uh, you know there's there's some who done it that I've read that it's it's just like oh well it was the guy the postman that posted a letter at the beginning of the novel that you never hear from again yes he did it and it's like well that makes no sense that's just you know and that's it's so it's shocking because it's (laughs) because he shouldn't it wasn't him it's it's so shocking because that just shouldn't have happened rather than shocking because you didn't see it coming yes yes and I think it's it's like a really like it's quite a fine line because like you said you you want to take risks and and push yourself and and do something you don't expect but at the same time it it needs to be believable and and in keeping with the the story but just like an underlying yeah kind of plot a a perspective that you didn't know was happening in the background (laughs) right you kind of have to drop hints throughout or else it's it's really not fair for the reader you need to give them a chance to figure it out but at the same time you also have to layer those hints with all sorts of red herrings for other Mm -hmm. characters and it's yeah it's it's tricky but I think when it works it works I know by the end I was like I have a bad feeling in my stomach about every single one of these characters <laughs> yes as like, you should I feel like yeah. as you should with thrillers right but then at the end I think it's also good for it to be like when one person you know maybe is is still you know oh it's I understand why they've done it because, you know, all of those hints you dropped earlier on, but then all of the red herrings that you drop, you kind of have to tie up as a a reason for it not to be that person as well. And that's when I'm, I get so confused. That's when I get lost because I'm like, (laughs) oh, but I was sure that 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 wouldn't have been a a good reason for that, but they actually do have a good reason for doing that and then doing that. But then that was still a bit dodgy. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. all all round just a, a very difficult process but that is that is good advice to like surprise yourself and, and int- not worry about introducing a 
a shock factor like straight away because I think it would be quite easy to think I need to start with the shocking element of yes or or, you know start with exactly who's done it and then work from there and then I think that would be quite difficult then to keep it shocking when you know the whole time like it's going to be this person right or at least if you know everything like if if yeah. you know i feel like who you know the person behind it is that can work but if you if you know like all of the reasons right off the bat why people are are suspicious or acting the way they do i think that i don't know for me then this is just a very personal thing but i'm not a plotter i i uh am very much a pantser i kind of just write as i go and that leaves open you know a lot of possibilities i'm not glued to an outline uh, right off the bat. And I think that does help a little bit when it comes mm. to the twists. Uh, so yeah. So when you're when you, you're writing and you're kind of going with it, are you discovering a lot about your characters then as you go rather than knowing it all at the beginning? Absolutely. Yeah. So usually when I start, I have a general idea, maybe a couple sentences on each character of who they are and why they're acting the way they do. Um, and it sounds so cliche and so cheesy to say this, but, you know, as I write, the characters kind of tell me, you know, who they are, basically, as as events unfold, I kind of learn along with them, you know, mm-hmm. what what their background is and why they're acting the way they do. So I think, you know, not having an outline, not having a very clear outline when I start gives me a lot of anxiety because, you know, I don't have an idea of where things are going for the most part. I might have kind of like a general plot line, but not anything more than that. And uh, kind of having that flexibility allows me to go in a lot of different directions. And sometimes that that does surprise me. So yeah, yeah, I think that helps. Because it's, you know, I think there are some people who are like, I can't imagine not having like, yeah. you know, basically a draft of a book in characters and then starting. Yes. And then I've spoken to a few authors who have said, you know, it's just sort of having that, having like a, a well-rounded idea and then yeah. just kind of allowing the characters, like you said, to take over and drive yes. The plot which I think they they really did do and I think that's why I felt such a connection with like Cass when reading because everything she does is just makes so much sense for her as a person and I like love to hear that. The, the way the way she goes about everything was just you ju- you just are like yeah that's that's so her as, as if I'm like her best friend I'm like oh yeah she would so do that <laughs> I love that I really love to hear that thank you And, um, you know, as this is your first uh, novel, your debut, um, you know, we talk a bit about publishing, uh, like the publishing side of the process on this podcast as well. Um, and I guess I just wondered, like, it's a new question that I started asking people and it is such interesting answers that I've gotten so far. Um, but I guess we'll start with the, what would you think is like uh, an aspect of publishing that can maybe be improved from your experience so far? <laughs> That is such a tough question. Um, I think, I mean, I've, I've read a lot about kind of the issues with publishing and I think there are, there are quite a few, I would say from an author's perspective and from a debut author's perspective, one thing that can be a bit frustrating is there's often a lack of transparency. Um, so we don't really know, or at least I didn't really know what's going on behind the scenes a lot of the time. 
Um, there's so much happening that you just aren't aware of. And I think to some extent, that's good. I think, you know, the publishing team is probably trying to protect you from a lot of the information that is either, you know, not going to be helpful for you or maybe hurtful, but um, it is, you know, it is sometimes frustrating not to be able to kind of see the full picture, I would say. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think as well, being, one of those people on the other side I think it's so easy for us as well to forget that you're not like automatically in the loop yes right you know I'll have authors email me and say oh so like what is happening with this thing we spoke about ages ago and I'm like oh that's that's all sorted like it's all I I just you know will completely forget to keep them in the loop with things sometimes and and I think it's so so easy done because then you get so involved in it and just forget even to pass information on to someone who obviously really wants to know as well yeah. like you obviously are so so want to know about what's going on with your baby like your novel is your yes. baby <laughs> exactly and at the same time too I mean it's it's so easy to think as an author too like oh well I mean they're only working on what else are they doing they're just working on my book like can't they just give me this update but there's so much I mean that editors and, and the publishing team are are dealing with. There, there are so many books going on and so many issues going on at the same time that it, of course, is going to be difficult and if not impossible to keep you updated on everything. So it's just kind of, you know, keeping that in mind as well. Yeah, definitely. I think I think it's true. There could definitely be a more like, you know, streamline either streamlined communication or like kind of a, a document shared or you know all these sorts of there are ways of like improving the transparency um for authors because I I agree it's probably uh, like really intimidating as well because you know even having been in this job like for a couple of years it's you you forget that when debut authors come to you they have no idea what the process is because you're in the full swing of it and it's so easy to forget that and to think, yes. right, imagine it's your first day and remember how much you didn't know, which was literally nothing. Yep. And yes. like, you've got to remember that you need to explain things and and you've got to show why you're doing this, where you're coming from and, and all that kind of stuff. Right, right. And then I guess we then to counter the improvement, what's your favorite thing been about publishing so far? I mean, oh, this sounds cheesy, but the people. I guess it's been, it's so scary as an author and especially as a debut author. I mean, um, to kind of have your book go out in the world and have people who aren't, you know, a significant other or a family member or your agent reading this. And I've gotten so lucky. I have my, my team at Transworld is my UK publisher and they have just been so excited and so engaged with the dive since day one that it's just, I mean, it's contagious, like getting emails from my editor about how excited he is and all this stuff. It just, it makes me so happy and makes me so excited about the book. And it's, it really has been just like everybody I've interacted with that has had some sort of role in bringing this book to life has been so wonderful. So I think, I mean, that's been one of the coolest experiences for me is just the amazing people that I've been able to meet throughout this bizarre publishing journey. <laughs> yeah, it's I mean, we that is, I think, uh, quite a common answer as well, because it's, you know, and, you know, obviously going to be very biased here, but I, I think it's a lovely industry. I think everybody yes. is so nice. And also, I love the fact that with authors in particular, they don't see 
other authors as like competition it's like yes. your book's great no your book's great yes. and it's just so supportive it's so lovely right. it has been honestly it was not what I expected I, I, I talked about you know social media before but you know I had to create like a, a Twitter and Instagram for my author account and just everybody from you know, the people in the publishing industry to other authors, to book bloggers, everyone has mm. been so lovely and welcoming into this community. And it's just, it's been great. The book bloggers are particularly just so amazing. They're so, so nice. So nice. Yes. So they, I, you know. I've seen the dive pop up all across my bookstagram. So they're obviously oh, doing a very good that. job too. <laughs> they are great. They have been absolutely wonderful for sure. So you've had a, a very positive experience then with your first book. Yes, I would say. So far, so good. And it's it's a bit strange. Um, it's out in the UK now and it's out in, you know, the uh, you know, British, British Commonwealth. It's not being released in the United States, my home, until February, uh, by a different publisher and under a different title. So it's it's still so strange because I haven't been in the UK for publication. Um but I will be in the US for publication in February. So it's, yeah, it's been wonderful so far. And it's kind of exciting to get two publication days. Yeah, I think <laughs> yeah. I think that that's so fun to be like, you know, have this amazing like celebration in the UK and then have a whole new one yes. in the US. What's, right. are you, I don't know if you're allowed to say, but uh, what's the title for the US launch? It's called The Resort. Okay. Yes. That make, that does make sense. Yes. So it's they've kind of moved away from the scuba diving theme I think in the marketing of it. But um yeah, yeah they have a different cover. It's nice and pink. Um oh. but yeah, it's just it's kind of a different it almost feels like a different book in some aspects. It's the exact yeah. same substance, but um yeah, it's exciting. Yeah, I mean, it's it's so funny sort of talking um especially to um the editors that I work with like because they've been in the industry for quite a while and just talking to them about how much of an impact a title and a cover can have oh, yeah. depending on the territory is yes. mad so like we'll, we'll bring books in um you know from the states for example and publish them in the UK and we'll be like we know that for our audience we know that we're going to have to change both things not because they're you know, bad in any way. It's just yeah. that we know it will do better if we right. give it this new title and cover, which is so interesting. Exactly. <laughs> it is. And it was kind of, I was so taken aback after talking to my US, uh, my US editor about changing the title. And then you just kind of take, take a step back and I'm, I don't know anything about publishing. This is not, this is not my area of expertise, but this is their area of expertise and they know what they're doing and they know what's best um, for the market and all of that. So it's kind of just, you know, turning over the reins a little bit. I mean, did you find it quite like hard to let go of the title and the cover or were you quite happy for it to be changed? It was, the title was hard for me because the the title was actually one of the first things that I had with this book. I had the setting and then I had, you know, a general plot line and then the title came pretty quickly. Um, and so it's in my head, it's always been the dive and I talk about it as the dive and then, uh, to have the title change was, it was a bit jarring. And even now, you know, if you as someone in the US asks me about the book, I, I'm always like, oh yeah, it's called The Dive. No, it's not. Yeah. <laughs> it's the resort. So yeah, but that's, yeah, it's all good. 
Yeah, I mean, I, I think that must be so difficult, especially when you've had the title from the beginning to kind of yeah. let something like that go. And and yeah, you kind of evolve it around. I, I don't know how authors do it because creative control is something I would really struggle with giving up. But I think it's so good to do it, especially when, you know, like every single word will stay the same except for yes. maybe changing like two like the yes. American Z's and stuff. Oh, but, of course. <laughs> yeah, but you know, like the, the whole, everything will remain the same except for the title and the cover. But I I still completely understand why that would be so hard to to part with. But then at the same time, it's, it's so amazing seeing like when you've got multiple editions of the same book, it's, yeah. it's so cool to have on your shelf. <laughs> it is. It's so wild. I actually, I just, I started a new job recently and I was moving into my office and I got to put up, you know, the hard copy or hardcover copy of the dive and the proof of the resort. And it's just, oh, nice. it looks so cool. So, you know, oh, amazing. I, I'm, oh, I'm good and you'll it. actually be able to like go into a store and see and it see as that. well when you're I in the know, States. I know that is something I, I was in Sweden for the launch of um, the dive. And there is one amazing bookstore there that had stocked it and put it in the window. Uh, and that was so incredible. But it's been it's been so sad not being able to just kind of go to a bookstore and see it. And I've had lovely, lovely book bloggers and authors, of course, on Instagram, um, sending me pictures of seeing it out in the wild. But it'll be it'll be a different experience, I think, when I can go to a bookstore down seeing the street and, mm -hmm. and see it. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm excited. Oh, amazing. Yeah. And then. Another thing is, you know, talking about other authors, is there a book that you've read in the last year that you would really recommend or that's been your favorite book of the last year? Ooh, what a tough question. Um, <laughs> so I just finished yesterday, Strange Sally Diamond by Liz okay. Nugent. Yes. Oh my God. Loved it. It was not what I was expecting at all. And I think that was probably one of the, my top books of the year for sure. Um, I really like an amazing writer. Yes. She was incredible. That was my first book of hers that I've read and I, I loved it. Um, Julia Bartz wrote a book called the writing retreat, uh, a thriller called the writing retreat. Uh, that came out, I believe in the beginning of this year. And I, that was just one book that I could not put down at all. And it had so many, you want to talk about twists, this book, oh, really? my head was like blown by <laughs> my mind was blown by the end of it. It was just, it went in so many directions that I was not anticipating. And then, um, death of a bookseller by oh, yes. I say Alice Slater. That looks so good. I've had that it on my list. So to read. Yes. So I guess I didn't really answer your question, but I, I probably, I guess I have three bests of uh, No, that's good. We, we just love a recommendation, to be yes. honest, because we've got, we've got some crime books coming out next year um, yes. at our company. So then a lot of this year has been like sort of historical fiction or, or literary mm -hmm. fiction. So it's really nice to have some crime recommendations because oh, who good crime? Right. And I guess, you know, the last thing is biscuits. Obviously, we've oh, we've had this conversation, cookies in America. And unfortunately, we don't have your cookie of choice in the UK. But if you could tell us about your cookie of choice, that'd be amazing. 
Yes. So my cookie of choice is one of the Girl Scout cookies. So I know that the the name at least has kind of made it over to the UK a little yes, bit. Yes, definitely. <laughs> yes. Um, but Girl Scout cookies, are they sold by Girl Scouts? Of course, they're, you know, for fun- fundraising. And they're kind of difficult to get. Like you usually have to order them. I just actually looked on the website before. I think you can order them on the website, but usually you can't find them in stores aside from like a very specific time of the year. You usually order them directly from a Girl Scout or there'll be Girl Scouts outside of, you know, grocery stores and that kind of thing selling them. So they're, I think that just like heightens the demand for them. Uh, But there is one specific Girl Scout cookie called Samoa's. And it's a cookie that is kind of drenched in caramel and coconut and drizzled with chocolate. And it is absolute perfection. I that sounds love amazing. It, so <laughs> it is so good. Yes. Yeah, so the perfect, I would say, reading snack for sure. Fantastic. I, I actually, I can't imagine like not being able to get your hands on something all year round that would be so difficult and and I guess yeah, it would make them taste even better <laughs> right and I'm sure like people have kind of gamed the system and figured maybe I'm just way behind on this people have figured out how to get them all year round but I think for me charging like thing. $50 a box yeah. <laughs> it's a good thing I can't get them because I would just I would go to town 365 days of the year so yeah. A box a day would be exactly. just about enough. <laughs> yes, yes. It's good for my my health, for sure, that I can't get them often. So a box of Girl Scout cookies, a copy of the dive or a copy of the resort if you're in America. Yes. And that's just the perfect afternoon in. <laughs> exactly. What more do you need, really? And that's all for this week. A huge thank you to Sarah for giving us all such incredible insights into her writing process and how to create such a compelling plot and shocking twist. I honestly did not see the ending coming at all, so make sure you head to your local bookshop or wherever you get your books and pick up a copy of The Dive now. Thank you all for listening. And as always, if you share our episodes on social media, don't forget to tag us at legend underscore times on Instagram and at legend underscore times underscore on Twitter. As we approach the end of October and the end of 2023, we're also approaching the end of the first season of another book podcast. I can't believe it. There'll be one more episode and perhaps a Christmas special, and then season two will begin in early 2024. So I'll be speaking to you all in two weeks time for the final author episode with the wonderful, amazing Gronya Murphy. Until then, have a great Monday, everyone.